Coffee begins as a tree. And a coffee tree goes through a yearly cycle that for nine months it will grow. And after nine months there will be a blossom. And then from that blossom there will come a cherry. And uh, it will bud these cherries. Then there will come time for you to harvest those cherries. And as people will come, they'll pull and they'll harvest all these cherries, pull them off. And what you realize is when you open up a cherry, inside that cherry there's a number of layers. And in the very center there is a bean. Or in most cherries there are two beans that are in there. And so you will harvest these. And then once you harvest these and get all these, then there is what is called processing. And in the process, as you open this up and you remove the bean, you then take the bean and there are different processes, but one of them is to be able to soak those beans and then pull them out and dry them over several weeks. And after they are dried and you move from the processing, you then go to the milling of the beans. Now the milling of the beans is when you've already taken off that, uh, that, that outer uh, layer of that bean. And then you begin to go through this hulling and polishing. And what hulling is, is uh, there's a parchment around that bean. You remove that. Then there's a silver skin around the bean and you polish that and remove that to where all you have is what is called the green bean over here. Now, if we could stop for there for just a moment, if you just think about these green beans, these green beans are similar to us as believers. When we understand that in our lives that we are separated from God because of our sin in our life, and because of our sin, it separates from God, and, uh, and we have no relationship with him, we have no fellowship with him. But the Bible teaches That when we make a decision and we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior, the one who came, he lived, he died on the cross, he was risen from the dead, and when all of that takes place and we accept him into our life, the Bible says, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and behold, the new has come. A new creation. Think about this. The old has passed away. What that means is we were like this seed that was surrounded by bondage of sin and hopelessness. And what happened is when you receive Christ, you begin to peel the outside of the cherry off. Then you begin to take the parchment off. And then you begin to take that little silver skin off. And what you have left is this green bean. And so this is us. Receive Christ, this new creation. We are this green bean. We have a new hope, a new purpose, and new energy as the Holy Spirit is within us. But then what happens in the coffee-making process is you go from milling to where you go to roasting. And when you roast, this is the most important part of the entire process because what roasting does is it gives these green beans now their dark color. And when you go through the roasting process, there are some chemical reactions that take place in the bean. And it brings out the aromatic oils, it decreases the acidity, and it transforms the starches into sugar. There's a transformation that takes place when you go from the green bean until until you get to the dark roasted bean. So what is happening is you are going through a transformation process to where you have the green bean, 
which is a bitter taste to where you begin to move to the roasted dark bean that has an aromatic flavor. That sound pretty good? Yeah, that's what happens. And so all of a sudden you've gone through this roasting process and you are this transformed bean. Well, then you finally get to the point where you grind the beans. And then after you grind the beans, you get to the point that you so look forward to. And that is that after you grind the beans, then you need to brew the coffee. And then once you've brewed the coffee, then you get to the point to where you get to drink the coffee. And so this is the final product. What started with a green bean over here, then it got transformed to this roasted bean, then it gets grounded, then it gets brewed, and all of a sudden it's in a cup of coffee. And there are many of you out there that are looking at me right now and saying, wow, you are one lucky guy. Got you a cup of coffee? Well, there's only one problem with that. I don't drink coffee. (laughs) And... um, the coffee's been a major part of my life. I graduated from Auburn in 1975, and I hired in in the summer of 75 to go work with the Bell System. And as I worked downtown in that downtown building, 28 floors, I was on the 24th floor. I was in marketing. I was all excited. It was my very first job. I had my little cubicle, and I was getting after it, and I'd been there a couple of days, and all of a sudden, a guy named Frank Fagan in the next cubicle stood up, and he said, it's break time. You know, back then, you used to get a break uh, in the morning and a break in the afternoon. He said, it's time to go get some coffee. And he looked right at me. I said, well, Frank, I said, I don't drink coffee. He stopped. He stared at me. And he says, you don't drink coffee? I said, no. He says, you'll never make it in this company. (laughs) And eight and a half years later, he was a prophet, and I left the phone company. But not that we want this to go to waste. Logan, come up over here. Logan, I think, is in great need of some over here. And so, Logan, I will let you have this cup. Is that okay? All right. Never to be wasted on there, Logan. Now, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 5. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 5. Now, as you're turning, I want to zero in on what we just talked about. Are you ready? Get this. To get the finished product of a cup of coffee that brings joy and contentment to millions of people, the green bean has to be transformed to the roasted dark brown bean. Now, I want you to look at our lives as believers as the green bean. Made decision for Christ, we're a green bean, but what God says is that I want you to be transformed because there's even more for you. When I look at the green bean, I see it as there's no more cherry. There's no more parchment. There's no more silver skin. It is a new creation. It is a green bean right here. However, God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And he desires you to go through that roasting transformation process. Because when the bean goes through the roasting process, there is an inner cellular structure change that results in an outward reality. What takes place as you go through this roasting uh, process, this green bean, when it comes through the roasting process, no longer looks like this anymore. Because there are some cellular changes that happen on the inside and all of a sudden the outward reality is totally different. And the taste of a green bean versus the taste of a roasted bean is totally different. 
That's a transformation process. Likewise, when we are transformed, a metamorphosis in our lives, there's an inner work that God does in our lives that produces an outward reality that is to be used in a way that impacts lives for the kingdom. And just as this being here brings a lot of joy and satisfaction to millions of people, this is the way our life needs to be. And we need to be transformed. Now, we're already a new creation. God has made us this new creation. But then he says, hey, there's more to it. It's not just accepting Christ as Savior and saying, hey, this is it. He says there is a transformation walk. There is this opportunity for God's Spirit to come inside your life and completely do such a new work in your life that you can be used to impact many people for the kingdom of God. Now, in order to do that, we need to have a grander vision of what it means to be a roasted coffee bean. Because you see, what happens is, is we can get to this point and say, well, I've received Christ as Savior, everything's fine. But sometimes people don't understand, why would I want to be transformed? Why would I want there to be a renewing of my mind? Why would I want there to be a difference in my life over and above just salvation? The Bible says we're to be conformed into the image of Christ. Why should I want to do that? Well, I want to share with you today of what it means to seize the grander vision. And if you can seize the grander vision of what God has for you, then you will take those steps towards the transformation process. I will say this once, and I know I'll probably say it numerous times. Transformation is an inner work. God is the one that does the work. But we decide, you decide whether you want to take that journey or not. God doesn't force you to be transformed. We have to make that choice, okay? So Luke chapter five, verses one through 11, Jesus takes a miraculous catch of fish to cast before his disciples a grander vision of not just fishing for perch, but for fishing for men. And so my purpose today for you is to cast you a grander vision so that you don't want to settle to be a green bean, but you want to be a roasted, dark coffee bean. Now, to seize the grander vision, there are four things we're going to talk about today. Number one is this. The first thing is to seize the grander vision, you need to respond to Jesus' commands. You need to respond to Jesus' commands. Follow with me as we read this passage. Chapter 5, starting in the first verse. He says here, on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. That's another name for the Sea of Galilee. And uh, he saw that there were two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and they were washing their nets. So what had happened is he's teaching, and if you could um, imagine, and for those that are watching live stream at the beach, you can really imagine this, as he's standing there on the edge of the waters, and people are coming, and crowds are coming to them, and, and he's having a hard time of being able to, to see and to speak to them. So he looks over to his right, and there are these two boats of people that have been fishing, and have been fishing in the evening, and the fishermen are over there cleaning their nets. So what he said, if I could get in one of those boats and then it could move me back a little bit, then I could sit in the boat and I could have a wider projection to talk to more people. So look what he does. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, that's Peter, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. So he gets Peter, and Peter's cleaning. He says, Peter, come over here. He's, and he gets in his boat and says, hey, uh, let, let's push this out a little bit, and I want to... Uh, you know, continue teaching. And when he had finished speaking, 
He said to Simon, let's put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and they took, and, and took nothing. We toiled all night, we took nothing, we caught nothing. At this point in Peter's life, there are two things that Peter does not want to do. Number one, he's been up all night fishing, he's tired, he's cleaning his nets, he does not want to hear another sermon. But that's what he had to do. He had to sit in the boat. Jesus is teaching. He's sitting there. Number two is he for sure don't want to go fishing again. I just came back. It's all night. I didn't catch a thing. Don't put salt in the wounds. I don't want to go back out there. But then look what he says at the end of verse five. But at your word, I will let down the nets. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. We'll cast out deep. We'll go deep. We'll go out in the water, and we'll cast out our nets. Listen, there are some people I know that have preached on this passage and said, we just need to launch out into the deep as if they'd never been there before. No, they grew up on that lake. Going out in the deep was nowhere new. This is the same place they'd always fished. Throw your nets over there, same nets they'd always had. Throwing them in the places that they've always thrown them in. So it's the same drill. And so they're going to practically the same place, throwing the same nets in there, and they're doing it just because Jesus commanded it. But then you get to verses 6 and 7. And it says, and when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. And then they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and to help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. So they went to almost the same spot where they dropped their nets all night and caught nothing. Now all of a sudden they dropped their nets and they've got so many fish that they got a whistle to get the other guy in with his boat and they filled their nets up and both boats were close to sinking. Wow. What made this a reality was verse five. They experienced the miracle. They put themselves in a position to hear and to see the vision that Jesus had for them because they responded to Jesus's commands transformation begins with us responding to Jesus's commands. I mean, it is opening up his word and when he says it, you do it. And this is the way it's been throughout all of his ministry. If you just begin to walk through the early life of Jesus, you get to John chapter two, the very first miracle was there at a, at a wedding feast in Cana of Galilee. They ran out of wine. The servants were all panicking. They came to Mary. Mary came to Jesus and she looked at the servants and she says, do whatever he tells you. And they did, and they had wine for the wedding. John chapter five, he was walking along this pool of Bethesda, and there was a man that had been crippled for a long time. And he walked up to this man, and he says, you will be cured, pick up your mat, and go home. Guess what the guy did? He picked up his mat, he went home, he was cured. He did exactly what Jesus said. John chapter nine, we'll talk about it next week, is that he came and he saw a man that was blind, he picked up a bunch of mud, he spit into it, made it, uh, some dirt, spit into it, made it mud, stuck it on his eyes and said, I want you to go to the pool of Siloam, which is a little bit of a, a distant walk, and when you get there, I want you to wash out the mud and you'll be able to see again. Guess what the guy did? He said, okay. So he took those muddy eyes and he walked over to the pool of Siloam. He got there. And when he got there, he washed it off. And all of a sudden, he could see. He did exactly what he told him. In Acts chapter 1, right before Jesus ascended to heaven, he told his disciples, he says, listen, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for a few days and the Holy Spirit will come. Guess what they did? They stayed in Jerusalem. They waited. They prayed. And in a few days, guess what happened? The Holy Spirit came. The Holy Spirit came. They began to preach the message of God. It's what we call Pentecost. 3,000 people were saved. And the New Testament church began. Transformation begins by responding to Jesus' commands. 
He didn't just write God's word for us to be um, entertained or, or just to think about it. He says you are to respond to the commands that God puts in his work. In order for you to see this grander vision that will motivate you to pursue this transformation process, you must be in the word of God, see the commands of God, and apply those. Respond to the commands of God. Number two is this. Recognize your personal sinfulness. Number two, recognize your personal sinfulness. I'm going to skip verse eight and go right to verse nine. In verse nine, it says this. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. For he and all of he, Simon Peter, and all of them with him, they were astonished. The literal translation of that is astonishment seized them. I mean, it was unbelievable. I mean, we just been out there a few hours ago and there was nothing. And now all of a sudden we got two boats full of fish. I've never seen anything like this before. And they were astonished. Now, every miracle that Jesus does has a purpose. He didn't just go around willy-nilly doing miracles. He had a purpose for the miracles. And the purpose for this miracle was not astonishment. It was not a gomer pile. Shazam! <laughs> wow! <laughs> Golly! Look at all these fish! And it wasn't like Jesus says, hey, how cool is this? We got a whole bunch of fish. No, that wasn't the purpose. The purpose was in verse 8. And when you look at verse 8, it says, but when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Everybody else saw the fish and they were astonished at these fish. But when Peter saw it, all of a sudden, he said, I am a sinful man. Now, part of the reason he said that was he questioned Jesus. Jesus says, I want you to go and I want you to throw the nets. He says, hey, we've already done this. And I don't think we really need to do this again. And then I think the other part of it is probably the attitude he had when he threw the net. I'm, I'm just going out on a, on a limb on this one. But after fishing all night, you're tired. You're sitting in a boat. Had to listen to another sermon. And then Jesus said, hey, let's go fishing again. You don't want to fish. You've already told him you don't want to fish. And he says, throw the net. I just don't think that Peter said, hey, guys, hey, let's throw the net. This is going to be great. Yay! I think it's more of, we're going to throw the net, but it ain't going to be anything there. We're going to throw the net. It's mumbling, grumbling. And then all of a sudden, he sees this, and he sees this astonishing catch of fish. But it wasn't just the fish that he saw. His focus was on Jesus. This is the man that he had been following for a short while who he'd seen heal the, the sick. He'd seen cast out demons. He'd heard him teach like no one else has taught before. He heard him claim to be the son of God. He'd heard him say that he could forgive sins of others. And now all of a sudden, in the midst of this miracle, he looks up and he recognizes his own sinfulness in light of the holiness of Jesus. And while everybody else is astonished at the fish, he's focused on Jesus and he says, I am a sinful man. You have to recognize your own sinfulness. And so when he did that, all of a sudden, Jesus begins to come around and share this grander vision. And you see, verse 10 follows up to where he says, hey, listen, Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. Jesus shared the grander vision, not while they were pulling the fish on the boat. And Jesus says, isn't this great? Not when they called the second boat. Let's bring another one in. Not when the boat started to sink because of all the fish. And Jesus didn't sit there and say, is this not fun, guys? I've got even a better vision. Not at all. 
It was only until Peter recognized his own sinfulness and looked up in Jesus, I am unworthy. Jesus looked at him and he looked at the other guys and he said, guess what guys? We're not just gonna be fishing for perch. I'm giving you a grander vision that we're going to fish for men. You're going to be catching men. Now, the motivation to follow, the challenge of transformation does not come from focusing on the fish in the boat, but the motivation comes when you witness the power of God and he penetrates your heart by convicting you of your own sinfulness. It's not just looking out there and seeing all these incredible fish in the boat. It is when it penetrates your heart and you see your own sinfulness, then all of a sudden God can use you. Jesus knew these 12 men, these men that he had chosen, and the group of them that were in this boat, he knew that if he was going to turn it over to them for them to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world, he had to get them not so much in awe over a big catch of fish, but he had to get them to the point where they understood their own sinfulness and the holiness of God and their own sinfulness. Once they recognized that, then they were on the road towards transformation and turning the world upside down. To seize the grander vision in life, there has to be a repentance of sin. There's got to be a brokenness where you become aware of your own stubbornness, your own pride, and your own insensitivity to God. That's where it's got to start. You'll never catch that grander vision or even pursue that grander vision if you don't respond to God's commands and if you don't recognize your own sinfulness. Psalm 51, 17 says this, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Now look at that, focus in on that. A broken and contrite heart. That implies a full giving up of ourselves to God. That he may forgive our sin, he may set us free from the burden of guilt, that he might renew a right spirit within us. This is what needs to happen. We need to understand that I am a green bean, I am saved. This is what led me to salvation was I understood my own personal sinfulness and I was separated from God. And the only way to come into a right relationship with him was to receive Christ as my savior. But then we almost want to just stay there and not ever go here. And we never get here because we've forgotten how bad our sin was and our sin condition. You need to remember what it's like just to be in a green bean. And when we understand that we are still sinners and that God wants to do a new work in my life, that means I've got to come to him and say, God, it's a great reminder. I know that I'm a sinner. I need you to continue to forgive me of my sins. And you know what I want to do? I want to be conformed to the image of Christ. I want my mind to be renewed. I want to be transformed. And I want to make a difference for you. Respond to Jesus' commands. Recognize your personal sinfulness. And then you are prepared to receive and to accept the grander vision. And that's where your third point is, and that is to rearrange your life. When you receive that grander vision, then you are ready to rearrange your life. Second part of verse 10, again, let's say it one more time. He's looking at Simon, Peter, and he says, do not be afraid, from now on you will be catching men. When God shows up in a powerful way, you cannot go back to business as usual. You cannot go back to business as usual. Listen, when God, when Jesus was there with those guys and they caught all those fish, he did not say, hey guys, why don't we come back to the same spot tomorrow and we'll see if we can catch some more fish tomorrow. 
He didn't do that at all. What he did was he gave him this grander vision, an opportunity to leave a legacy of reaching billions of people with the gospel. Not just coming back to the same old fishing hole, maybe we can catch another big, big catch of fish, but it is to do a life-changing transformation and impact billions of lives. Now, I just got to be honest with you. You got Peter, James, and John. These guys were all fishing together. They could have, if they wanted to, have just settled with that big catch of fish. In fact, I call it a two-boat catch. It's a two-boat catch. You see, you couldn't get them all in on one boat. You had to have two boats in order to get the fish in there. And for Peter and James and John, just think about what life would have been for them in Capernaum right there on the lake. You know, they've got the old bait and tackle place that also uh, is where you get, your, uh, you get your meals, you get breakfast, lunch, and dinner over there. And it's where all the fishermen kind of hang out and you go get your fishing supplies. You come in, you sip a little tea and, and just talk about stuff. And, you know, uh, Peter, James, and John, uh, they probably got their picture up on the wall uh, and two boat cats and they've got their own little table in the corner. You know how that happens in town. Somebody's got their own table. They always sit there. You can relate to this. You got your own pew. And uh, so, you know, you know, they got their own, got their own table over there. And, and now all of a sudden there's Peter, James, and John, and they, they come in every day, you know, and they're hanging out. And then some guy walks in, some newbie, and he's bragging about his big catch of fish. He says, man, you won't believe what I got last night, what I just hauled in. And uh, it was great. It was one of the biggest ones I've ever done. And then there's Peter just sitting over at the table. And Peter says, hey. How many boats? I said, what? How many boats? He said, uh, well, just one. One? You think that's good? Hey, let me tell you about my two-boat catch. And then everyone sits in spellbound as Peter tells his story of his two-boat catch of fish. Oh, how much fun is that? The rest of his life, sitting in a corner table, bait and tackle store, telling the story about a two-boat catch of fish. Hmm. Or he could seize the grander vision when Jesus says, hey, guys, this is fun what we're doing here, but guess what? We're not going to be fishing for perch. We're fishing for men. You want to take that vision? And those guys make the decision to grab onto that grander vision. And when they seize that grander vision, they then go out and they are a part of a work of God of where they are no longer telling fish stories. They're now telling the stories about the person by the name of Jesus of Nazareth, who was God's son, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, showed us who God was, taught like no man ever taught, went to a cross, died for our sins, was raised from the dead, and has ascended to heaven. And one day he's coming back and he's setting up his kingdom. And he is going to be king of kings and lord of lords. And he says, this is the message that we're telling now. And because they took that grander vision, not tens, not hundreds, not thousands, it's not millions, but billions of people have heard the gospel and had their lives changed for eternity. Or they could have just been in the corner table with their two-boat catch of fish. Seize the grander vision. When you seize the grander vision, what that means is you will do a rearrangement of your life. And for these men, this is the choice that they made. And see, for a lot of you, you're at the same place. You got to ask yourself, you want to settle 
being a green bean of coffee? Or do you want to get involved in the transformation process and be a roasted dark coffee that can bring joy and impact millions of lives? It's a choice that you got to make. But let me give you a little bit of a warning. The grander vision always carries a price tag. Grander vision always carries a price tag. And it says, at the end of this, it says, and when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and they followed him. They left everything and followed him. This is more than we're going to go down to the bait and tackle shop and talk to a few guys about Jesus. This is a radical commitment of a changed lifestyle. But I want you to read very closely verse 11. Not, it was never recorded in this particular uh, account of Jesus's life. Jesus did not say, leave your nets and follow me. What Jesus did was he presented the grander vision and they rearranged their own life. Once they saw that vision and they heard it, Jesus kind of put the ball in their court. And when they got the boats back on the land, they're going through this process. Do we want to go to the bait and tackle store and tell everybody about our story? Or do we want to follow him? They left everything. Biggest catch of fish you've ever had. Left their nets, left the boats. Guess what they did? They said, we're following him. We are going to rearrange our life. We're not being arm twisted by Jesus. We're not being guilt tripped by him. He just shared the vision with us and said, hey, where are you? You coming with me or not? This is it. What's your life going to be? Are you going to be a two-boat catch-a-fish person? Are you going to be one who can impact the world for eternity? And they said, hey, we're willing to do this. Now, every time I get to this point, and whenever I, I preach this, just that verse, and there are other verses in the other gospels where it says they left everything and followed him. I've sat where you sat, those who are not in ministry, I've been in business world for eight and a half years and I sat there and I would hear this and I'm saying, well, so does that mean that, that I've got to go into the ministry? Is, are we putting a guilt trip on everybody here and everyone in the choir and saying what you really need to do is quit what you're doing? No, and, and, and I never knew how to best express it until I saw this from Tim Keller. Tim Keller in his book, Every Good Endeavor, says this. I want you to listen to this and I want you to hopefully you can grasp it and I hope I can explain it to what this means. He says... What was forever changed was disciples' relationship to their work. Jesus gave them the big picture, and he deliberately called them to a new kind of fishing beyond their fishing. In other words, he was coming to redeem and heal the world, and he invited his disciples to be a part of his project. Now they had an identity and a significance untethered to their job or financial status. Listen to this. They had an identity and significance untethered to their job or financial status. They were no longer just fishermen in Galilee. Now all of a sudden, we are fishermen in Galilee, but there's something even more. And that is that we get to pursue this grander vision. And he says, so they could walk away from it, from their fishing business, if that was called for, or they could approach it in a different way from before. They had a new freedom both from their work and in their work. They were no longer controlled by their work. They saw their work differently. And so it could have been that they could have decided we're going to continue fishing, but it's going to take on a whole different meaning now. And this is where God's leading us in this particular area. And the best way I can think of is, is my own, own story. 
Okay? When I, when I graduated from college, went to work at the phone company, I joined this church in 1976. And as I joined this church in 1976, I, I befriended Dr. Carter, who was the pastor at that time, and I told him that there were some uh, thoughts in my own head that God may be calling me to go into ministry, but I was just loving the business world and just kind of walk with me through that. And he did. And in the late 1970s, he approached me and he sat down with me as I was teaching singles and all of a sudden God began to do an explosive work in their singles ministry. And there'd never been a singles minister before, uh, a staff member at the church. And so Dr. Carter approached me and he said, how would you like to take like even a, maybe a year sabbatical from work or step away from work and come over here and be our singles minister? Stepping into ministry. And so Janice and I, we got to talk about this and we're early on in our marriage and we prayed about it. And I just didn't feel a piece about it because there were still things that I had not accomplished that I wanted to finish there in the, in the business world. So I told him no. A couple years later, he came to me again and he said, I'm coming to you again to see, do you want to come and to be the singles minister at our church? And this time, Janice, I thought even more about it and we started to take some steps to it and we continued to pray and then all these different uh, events took place to where it just seemed that door was closed. And, and again, we sat and told him no on there. But just the fact that there were two times that I was being asked this, it made me step back and say, okay, I remember my dad, when he graduated, he went to work for Sears and Roebuck and he was like a 25 year guy. And, uh, until he retired, I'm joining, I'm in the bell system, phone company. I'm going to be a 25, 30 year guy. And then I'm going to retire. And all of a sudden this began to change that whole perception. And I began to see that it's more than just the bell system. And I'm more than just a phone company employee. I'm a, I'm a follower of Christ who has an opportunity to work in the phone company. And all of a sudden it began to change the way I looked at that job. And so the next time, then when I've got an opportunity to be a salesman, uh, excuse me, a, uh, a sales manager over there, it was then, hey, why don't we start a Bible study here, here at work? And, and there began to be things to where I could pour into individual lives who were going through difficult times. And so the two no's weren't, weren't telling God no. It was that God used that time to give me this grander vision of what my call to work was. And if I was still working at, at a phone company or in some kind of business today, it would be to serve him and say, God, how can I be used? And it gave me a real freedom. And that's what Tim Keller is saying in this verse. What it did for those disciples, it gave them a real freedom and they got to make a choice. And Jesus just asked them the question, do you want to keep fishing for perch or do you want to fish for men? And you make the call. And when they brought the boats up, they had to make a decision. For them, it was, hey, we're going to follow you and leave everything behind. Maybe if there's some other folks on the boat, they would say, you know, we feel we're called to transform this work. And we're going to continue this fishing business, but it's going to be different. We're going to be focusing on telling people who Jesus is, and we're going to do it through our work. Whenever you see this grander vision, it causes you to begin to think about your life and to begin to do some either some redirection or just some rearrangement of your life. Does that make sense? You see, you respond to Jesus' commands, you recognize personal sinfulness, then you rearrange your life. But then last of all is this, and it results in a penetrating aroma. <laughs> it results in a penetrating aroma. Now, I'm not a coffee drinker, but I love to smell coffee. 
my wife is a coffee drinker. And so a part of uh, my joy that I've chosen to do is I make her a cup of coffee in the morning. Now, what we did was we got rid of that expensive Keurig and bought an $8 percolator, okay? You say, well, why would you get an $8 percolator? You know why? When you percolate, what happens? It begins to be in the aroma. And so what will happen is, is I'll get up in the morning. As I get up in the morning, bring down that, uh, uh, our little percolator. I take out the coffee that she likes. I do the spoonfuls just like I should. And then I put a little extra in there. It's my secret, none for you to know. And, uh, and, and fix that and, and just get it just right. And what's so interesting is that in a few moments, Janice is getting out of the bed, walking into the kitchen. And what was it that, draw, that was driving her into the kitchen? It was not the fact that I was rattling pots or getting the mug out and I banged it against something or I opened the refrigerator to get milk or cream out. It was the aroma. It was the aroma of the coffee. And when that aroma of the coffee came, it drew her and she came into the, into the kitchen. You see, one of the, the um, characteristics of the aroma of coffee is it has penetrating strength. You could be in a conference room with a bunch of noisy people, everybody talking, nobody paying attention to the food service people over here, and your mind is in a whole different ball game. and then all of a sudden, they begin to brew that coffee, and when they brew that coffee, that smell begins to come throughout the room, and you know what happens? Coffee lovers are like zombies moving to coffee. Coffee, coffee, and they stop what they're doing. And they just move over there and they head towards the coffee. It's the penetrating strength of the aroma of that coffee. Hey, 2 Corinthians 2.15. Is this not cool or what? It says, for we are the, read it, what does it say? Aroma of Christ. One more time. For we are the what? Aroma of of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Listen, when we live transformed lives, we're being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ and our labors and our lives are like an aroma that's flowing up to God. And as God smells that aroma, he looks to us and says, you know, you smell a lot like my son. Smell a lot like my son. You remind me a lot of my son, Jesus. And God is pleased. We are that aroma. It has a penetrating strength. Listen, it is a sweet aroma to God, but it's an aroma to others. And when you live a transformed life, you'll be like the dark roasted coffee bean that when it is brewed, it creates a pleasing aroma. And the aroma of your life and your words are ones that will point to Jesus as your Savior, and it will provide opportunities for you to be used by him to impact people's lives for eternity. Seize the grander vision. We're not just fishing for perch, folks. We're catching men. Seize the grander vision. How does that happen? Transformation needs to take place. You know, when you brew, if you took the green ones, if you took green beans and you brewed them, they would either have no aroma or very little. And their taste would be an acidic, bitter taste. But when you brew a roasted coffee bean, the aroma is a wonderful smell and the taste is an aromatic flavor that draws people to it. Let us be those transformed people that God can use to bring people 
to him for his glory. Let me ask you to bow your heads for a moment. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you saved us and that, um, and that Lord, by us recognizing our sinfulness and, and recognize what you've done for us on the cross, that when we came to you, that, that you came into our lives. And, uh, and Lord, we ask for forgiveness for those times that we have been so satisfied with just the fact that we are saved and we've sort of got our fire insurance or our life insurance, and yet we don't see the grander vision. And that you didn't just save us to sit here and soak, but you saved us so that we can go out and engage our community and engage our world, that we can truly be people that are live sin. And so we pray today, Lord, that, um, that we would be thinking about the things that we have been challenged with today and that uh, in our own hearts during this time of reflection that we would say, Lord, I'm ready to engage in that transformation process. I want to seize that grander vision. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.